Yeah, I'm really excited to have the chance to share this message with you about Jesus. As we're finishing our Still Standing series, we've, we've been talking about the armour of God that we need to keep us still standing as we go through a journey. And it seems quite timely that now as we have our AGM tonight, which, as Tony has said, is where we look back at the journey we've been on so far and we look ahead to where we're going to actually now, with that armour in place, be thinking about how we move forward with God. And so... As we start off, I want you to look at the picture we've got here. We've had this slide throughout the Still Standing series. And can you maybe put yourself in the position of that woman there? Imagine yourself stood there. And I wonder what you're thinking and what you're feeling as you stand where she is. So you might be thinking, how on earth did I end up here? You might be thinking, particularly if you're, apparently there's this game called Minecraft that us old folk know nothing about, but apparently there's, in Minecraft there's this thing called parkour where you leap from one block to, you're with me Tom, are you, yeah? Do do you do parkour on Minecraft? No, you don't, I bet bet he does really, doesn't he? You can do it in real life too. Well, here is an opportunity to do it in real life. Perhaps, as you stand there, you're thinking, yes, I'm going to leap to that bit there, and then I'll leap to there. And, and you're excited to plan your route, leaping from one pinnacle to another. Perhaps you're looking out at the distance there and thinking, oh my goodness, that's a long way to go. And frankly, it looks quite an arduous journey. It looks quite dry. I can't see a McDonald's or or a Starbucks en route. Or perhaps you're simply thinking, get me down from here. I do not want to be here right now. We all have different feelings. As as we look back and as we look ahead, we're going to have mixed feelings about the journey ahead. And in the Bible, there's a point that God's people reach where they're looking ahead. They're perhaps in a similar position to this woman. They've come on a long journey. Moses has led God's people out of Egypt, with a little bit of help from God, to be fair. They've gone through some real adventures. God's parted the Red Sea for them so they could flee the Egyptian army chasing them and swarm them behind them. He's provided them with this miraculous food in the middle of the desert, this manna that falls from heaven every day for them to eat. He's produced water from a rock from them when they were thirsty out there. They've been at Mount Sinai. They've seen Moses go up the mountain to meet with God in this big cloud of thunder and lightning and seen that awesome power. They've had a few hiccups along the way. They they may somewhere around Mount Sinai have accidentally made themselves a golden calf and worshipped it for a bit. Whoops-a-daisy. They've even had a little bit of jostling about, oh, do we really trust Moses? Not sure about that. They've had a lot go on. But they've reached the point in their journey where it's time to look ahead to where God's leading them, to the promised land. They're looking ahead, and they're going to have a mixture of feelings about that. So we're going to pick up the story in the book of Numbers from chapter 13. So if you want to find that in your own Bibles, I will give you a moment to rustle in your paper Bibles or look it up on your phone or whatever 
technology you choose to use. So Numbers chapter 13, and I'm going to read from verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. That's the promised land, the land that was promised to their ancestor Abraham all those years ago. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. Now I want to pause there, because if you're like me, you know there's a list of names coming up. Anyone, well, number one, there's the pronunciation issue. I'm going to bluff it and hope you all are convinced that I know better than you. Okay. Number two, anyone else, when you get a list of names, scan, read. Is that just me? It's a bunch of names. But this matters, this list of names. The original people hearing this would know these names. They'd know the families that the people came from. And so as they heard that list of names, there'd be those little sideways looks. Well, he would be on the team, wouldn't he? Or, really? They're sending him to... Do you know what happened in his family? Or, ah, yes, of course, he's got the skills to do that, hasn't he? Oh, that's my cousin's auntie's sister. Brothers, brothers, cousins, I don't... Brother, brother, oh, they're all men. Good point, they're all men. Sorry. There would be recognition there of those people. Sometimes it would be recognition of pride. Yeah, that's one of my ancestors there. That was someone in my family. Sometimes it would be recognition of, wow, they were really great. Sometimes it would be recognition of, gosh, that's an interesting choice. I wonder how they coped. These are real people, all with different characters, Different circumstances who are listed here. So bear that in mind as I read the names now. Perhaps try for yourself to be imagining that you know these names, that you know the characters here, that you know the relatives of some of these people listed, and all of that that they might bring to this mission. So these are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, son of Zachar. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. From the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethus, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vops. Oh, I can't pronounce that one. Son of Vopsi. We'll go with that. And finally, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Maki. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. So these are known people, known characters. Interestingly, it's a different list of leaders to one we find earlier in the book of Numbers. So in in Numbers chapters 1 and 2, they're having a bit of a census and a a general organization of the tribes and, and who fits where and whatnot, and sort of counting up how many in each tribe. 
And they have a list of leaders there who organise the counting. And it's a different set of names. These are not the same ones. And I just think that's interesting as an aside that they've chosen a different set of people to go on this mission. Perhaps because it requires a different skill set. Organising and counting the, the groups of people where they are is probably a different set of skills to going off to this promised land as a spy to check it out. They've chosen some different people to go in that. So their mission is to go and check out the promised land. And Moses gives them some quite specific things they've got to look for. So when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they've got kind of a checklist that they're meant to be inspecting. He wants to know, are the people strong or weak? Is there a lot of them or not so many? The land itself, is it good or bad? You know, are we talking mountains and rocky? Are we talking, you know, soil? Are we talking rivers through there? What's it like? The towns of the people there, are they unwalled, easy to take over, or are they fortified? Are we going to have a big fight on our hands here? What's the soil like? Are we going to be able to plant crops and grow things there? Are there trees there or no trees? There's a lot of stuff they've got to consider. And when we set out on any journey, if we're looking at our destination, we've got to consider a lot of factors in there. It's good to think through what challenges are we going to face? What things might we need to be prepared for? What's going to be the best strategy for approaching this journey based on what we know lies ahead? The thing is, when we do that... When we ask all of those questions, it can seem quite overwhelming to consider everything that's going to come into play as we move forward. There's so much to think about, so much to consider, so much to prepare for. We could very easily be discouraged, which is why Moses also says to them, be of good courage, be of good courage. It takes courage to look at the journey ahead. It takes courage to go ahead of the others and see what's out there, this place we're supposed to be going, this place God's told us to go. What's the reality of it? What's it going to mean to step forward into this promised land? That takes courage. But then you notice at the end, Moses also says to them, bring back some fruit. Why does he do that? Is it, I've brought some fruit with you. I actually sent my own spies out this morning. My spies, otherwise known as Brian and Paul, went on an epic journey all the way to Iceland. Long way. Did you go on a plane or plane or boat or pub? Via the pub. Excellent. 
So they, they brought me back some, some fruit of the far distant land of Iceland. So I, I thought perhaps we should share the fruit that my spies brought back for me. Do, do help yourselves to that fruit. Why? Why bring back some fruit? Any thoughts? Huh? It shows that the ground's pretty good for growing stuff, yeah? Proof of what's there. Yeah? Anything else? Imagine yourself. Let's bear in mind these guys. They've been on this long journey with Moses. Okay? They've had to rely on water from rocks. And this manna from heaven, which I'm sure was very yummy and all the rest of it, but manna every day. What's for dinner, Mum? Manna again. How do you think they would have felt when the spies brought back some fruit for them? Wow. Encouraged. Excited. This is what we want. This is where we need to be headed, yeah? Sometimes we need that, particularly... So the spies were going out to sea, but the others were stuck back wherever they were. I've forgotten where they were, just below the Negev somewhere. They were stuck there. The others got to see. They weren't going to see this. They needed something more than words bringing back to them. It's all very well someone coming back to you and saying, wow, you're going to love this place we're going. It's going to be great. We need something more than that to really help us get excited sometimes, don't we? Particularly when all we've seen for however long it's been is dust in the desert, dry. All we've seen. Sometimes we need something a bit more than words to encourage us forwards. And so they bring back some fruit. To be fair, I think this particular group of people probably needed that encouragement as that fruit of that fruit because when you look back at their story so far, it seems there's a few moaning minis amongst them. There's some of them who are rather prone to complaining rather a lot. They needed that encouragement to keep them going. So the spies go off. They check out this land and they come back with their report. Now, in the book of Numbers, first of all, we get a purely factual report of where they went. Okay, so from verse 21, it says, So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab towards Lebohamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. That's the ones you're eating now, not literally. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. I trust you did it this way. (laughs) Moving on swiftly, people, moving on. Along with some pomegranates and figs. Come on, standards, please. Honestly, clearly didn't follow the instructions. That was poor, right, I see. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So that's where they went to see. Now they're going to give their report. And this is where it gets interesting. Because as we were saying at the beginning, when we considered ourselves standing where that woman is, 
a lot of us will have different perspectives on what we see, won't we? And so these spies, these different characters with different backgrounds, different experiences, different ideas, are probably going to come back with slightly different ideas of what it is they've seen in the land. Different people see things different ways. A little illustration for you on this. We have pictures that we can see in different ways. If I show you this next picture, what's that picture of? Well, which is it? It's a rabbit if you look at it going that way. It's a duck if you look going that way, yeah? Yeah? Different people will have seen something different first. I wonder what you see first in this picture. Yeah? There's a couple under a tree, but the tree is making the shape of a baby. A fetus, perhaps, yes. See it, yeah? Can you see it, yeah? Last one is perhaps not quite so ideal an illustration, but I just had to share this picture with you because it makes me laugh. (laughs) What is going on there? I just like that one. Thought I'd share it with you. I know. that You're glad you came to church this morning, people, aren't you? You are very glad. So, huh? I don't care what type of fish they are. It just looks funny. Okay. Anyway, back to the report. So, they're bringing their report. Let's hear what they've got to say about what they've seen in the land. So, from verse 26. <coughs> they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But... The people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So great land, but it's going to be tough. There's some big scary people there. Now at this point... Caleb, one of the guys who were sent out, jumps in. He says, whoa, 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 hang on. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I get the impression Caleb is quite young and over-enthusiastic about life in general. You know, he's like, woohoo! The others have said, whoa, it's scary, no, there's big scary people. And Caleb goes, let's go! So just to make sure that the correct message is getting across, the others then expand on their report slightly. Notice how it subtly changes at this point. The men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored, the land, okay, not the people, the land, devours those living in it. Really? Okay. 
All the people we saw there are of a great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I'll explain about the Nephilim in a minute. But first up, there is some truth in what they're saying. It was heavily fortified. This this picture is of um, where they've excavated the remains of one of the cities in that region. It's the city of Hazor. Um, According to my study Bible, it says that the upper city is 26 acres and the lower city is 160 acres. And it had a population of about 40,000. In those days, that was big. Okay? Let's not think in, you know, modern times. That was big. It had its walls around the edge that were made of stone and mud brick up to 24 foot thick. It was well defended for its time. Remember, they didn't have the the tanks and, and stuff that we have these days, okay? It was well fortified. So, yes, it was strong people who were living there. It did, yeah, it did. So they were quite advanced for their time there, yeah. Well, well ahead of the time. <clears throat> but this business about the Nephilim, you see, because in their first report, they say the descendants of Anak. But then, in their second bit, they're saying the Nephilim. Now, the Nephilim are mentioned back in the book of Genesis, before the time of the flood. It's a bit of a as to what the Nephilim actually were. So sometimes it's translated as giants. Sometimes it's translated as sons of God. There's a bit of uncertainty as to exactly what the Nephilim were. There's some theories that maybe they were like some kind of fallen angels, but they they were big and they were scary, is the general gist that we get. But by the time of the flood, after the flood, they were gone. They weren't there anymore. They were back then. Okay? But somehow, in the spies' minds, they've seen these sons of Anak, who there's this theory that there's some kind of descendant line thingamabob going on. So these fairly strong people, these fairly big people, in their minds, have grown into these almost mythical giants. What was a small issue, a small threat, has grown in their minds and in what they're telling the others into something way out of proportion. That's in contrast to Caleb, who just says, let's go, let's go do it. And at first, he probably sounds a bit reckless, to be fair, yeah? They've just come back and said, yeah, it's a great land, but it's heavily fortified. The people there are strong. They're they're not actually technically, you know, big, giant, scary people. But they're pretty big. They're pretty strong. And he says, let's go. On the surface, that sounds reckless. But he goes on later to explain why he's saying, let's go. If we shoot forwards a wee bit... To chapter 14, verses 6 to 9. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, 
He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. It's not that he's being reckless. It's that he is viewing this from a different perspective. The question he's asking isn't how strong are the people in the land, and it's not how strong are we. He's asking how strong is God? What does God want? What's God's plan? Because actually, how strong we are and how strong they are isn't the deciding factor here. doesn't matter. If it's what God wants and it's what God's told us to do, then it will happen. For Caleb, it isn't about him deciding whether he has the confidence or the courage, whether he's brave enough, if he's good enough. For Caleb, this is about God's told me to do it. Therefore, I obey God. And I do what he says. That's the only question at play for Caleb. It's about making a choice to follow. So we've got these two perspectives. Caleb, for whom it's all about, God says, therefore we go. As long as we're obeying him, his will will be done. He will make the way. And then we've got the others for whom the challenges that they see, the real challenges that they see, are growing bigger and bigger each time they tell the story. Anyone ever known people who, every time they tell the story, the numbers get a bit bigger? Yeah? It happens, doesn't it? It's like that. Every time they tell it, the people get a bit bigger. The walls get a bit thicker. Those two perspectives. But a harsh reality hits them at this point. Are you ready for this one? It's a bit painful. Because God's response to them, after a bit of a a debate with Moses, in verse 22, God says, Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his his descendants will inherit it. Caleb, who has that obedient faith of God says, I'll do, is going to be the only one, only his family, those who actually believed, are going to be the ones to go into the promised land. The others, their generation is going to die out first. Does that feel quite harsh, actually? It feels quite harsh. And we don't like thinking of God as harsh, do we? It's like, that's not very nice. (laughs) 
I think what we have to perhaps consider it as, not necessarily so much as a punishment, but as a natural consequence. These people who aren't going to make it into the promised land, they are the ones who all the way through this journey, when they've seen God do miraculous things that are beyond anything I've ever seen, and I suspect beyond anything you've ever seen, they've seen God splitting the Red Sea for them. They've seen this manna from heaven. They've seen the power of God at work. And still, they're not trusting him. If at this point, they don't have the courage, they don't have the trust, then of course they're not going to be able to make it through battles into the promised land because it's kind of a, a cause and effect almost. If you don't have the courage to walk forward into it, you're not going to go forwards into it. The only way they're going to move forwards is by having that courage, having that faith to step forwards. That's the hard reality of life. We only move forwards when we take the courage. When we look at the woman standing there on the ledge, the only way she's going to get beyond into the distance there is if she has the courage to start moving forwards. If she doesn't have that courage, then she's going to just stay where she is until maybe some kind person comes along with a helicopter and scoops her up. That's the reality of life. We have to have courage to move forwards. So where are we in all this? What do you see? As we stand at at the start of a a new year as a church, as we come to our AGM tonight when we're looking back and then looking ahead, what do you see? We've gone through this series talking about the armour of God, equipping ourselves for battles that might lie ahead. We're dressed with the belt of truth, that truth of Jesus and our identity in him. We've got that breastplate of righteousness over our hearts. Not our own righteousness, not how good we are, but how good Jesus is. We've got the gospel of peace on our feet propelling us forward. We've got the shield of faith held up as we advance, hopefully in a tortoise, with our friends and family around us, moving forwards together. We've got the helmet of salvation to protect our mind, and the sword of the spirit, God's word, speaking truths, that defeat the challenges. What do you see as you look ahead? Do you see problems, genuine problems, genuine challenges, but in your mind they grow bigger and bigger each time you look? Do you need to turn your focus from the size of the challenges to... Who's God? Where's he calling me? Where is he in this? What's his plan? How strong is he in this? Or perhaps you're someone who actually, as you look ahead, you're like Caleb, you're one of the people going, yes, I can see some brilliant stuff we can do. Let's go here. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you're ready to leap forwards into new challenges. If you're one of those people, then you have a responsibility to the rest of us. You have a responsibility to bring us back some fruit. 
to encourage us ahead. It's not enough just to say, yay, let's go do it. Bring back some fruit for those of us who need a little bit of encouragement to see the path ahead. It's raining out there, in case you haven't noticed. So, as we draw to a close now, I want to invite you just to take a moment as you stand on the edge of whatever's coming up for you as an individual or for us as a church, the challenges that may lie ahead, the exciting things that we may be looking to do. And ask yourself, am I focusing on the challenges and letting them grow in my mind, or am I focusing on God? Am I focusing on his strength? where he will lead us. And if you do have that exciting motivation to go forwards, if you are wanting to leap forwards, how can you bring fruit back for the rest of us? What can you bring to encourage the rest of us?